0: I mean, you see guys signing. Yeah. Uh, I think I see them, too. So, um, you know, I guess we wait. Where do you yeah. things stand there for you? I'm sorry? Where do things stand there for you? Um, you know, we're, we haven't reached anything yet. Are you but still optimistic? optimistic? Um, probably not as.
1: Mets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's
0: a fly ball. Champion. Here's the 1-2 pitch, check him out, Steve has 19 strikeouts. Jones on the run, this one has a chance, home run, Mike Piazza, and the Mets lead 3-2. To To left field, Floyd, and after winning rough shot over the National League, the Mets have a title to show for it, 2006 National League East champions. Here's the payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler on the way, and it's in there, strike three
1: called. The Mets win the pennant! The New York Mets have won the National League pennant! Put in the box! It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast this Monday, March 25th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Of course, Jacob deGrom was kind enough with his words from the other day to introduce the podcast and uh, his words about his optimism or lack thereof of his contract situation. A lot to get into. Joining me in just a little bit, and he's got some news on the whole deGrom situation. will be Mike Mayer from MetsamorizedOnline.com. Some good sources, as always, the guys at MetsamorizedOnline.com. We're not just the you know your average blog with just opinion, but also trying to do some news here. And trying to really uh, provide you the best, what I think is some of the best overall content uh, for the Mets and the uh, anywhere you know, short of those who have direct access to the team. So, Mike will be joining me in just a bit. Now, when you get this, I don't know. I mean, it's it's Monday night, and I purposely moved the podcast to Monday night because this is so fluid right now, the Degrom situation, and I know opening day is just a few days away, and that normally would be what we'd all be talking about, but uh, I mean, look, this is the big story now. I know that the whole travel to Syracuse is a big story. I'll get to that in a minute because Noah Syndergaard has created quite a stir there. And, um, you know, the fans are wondering, you know, let's just let's just get this thing going on. Like, why are we talking about all this? Can't we just talk baseball? But, you know, in the modern baseball world, sports world, it's more about what goes on off the field than what goes on on the field. But uh, Mets have their... Their work cut out for them this weekend with an opening series, a tough opening series against the Nats. Best three pitchers, a big test series right off the bat. Not going to get crazy one way or the other, but it would be good to see uh, the Nats home opener. Uh, top three pitchers, you know their offense without Harper. Last year, early in the year, the Mets swept the Nats in Washington, and uh, be interesting to see how that plays out. So uh, a lot to get to, but let's start with Degrom, and I really want to lay this. Contract situation out because I think there's a lot at play here. The first thing I'll say is I don't think either way, whether they get a, you know, there's not a way you could predict what will happen if the contract isn't signed by the end of, or not the end of the week, before opening day. I don't think the Grom is immediately gone. Um, I'm not sure he's going to stay. I do think. Once they get past the deadline, depending on how much progress they've made, uh, there is a chance that something can be done. I mean, they make it sound like, well, he doesn't want to negotiate in season, and, and I understand that, but it's not like he's going to be five minutes before game time on the phone with his agent talking financial numbers. I mean, these guys do have lives outside of baseball. It's a long day. There's a lot to do. Uh, it's not your typical uh, you know, clock in, clock out 9 to 5, but they have downtime. If you have time to tweet, not that DeGrom does, you have time to tweet and clown around like some other pitchers on that staff. You have time to talk business with your agent and still be able to go to work and play. So I don't don't think that's all, uh, you know, hope is lost on Thursday. Of course, I think there's another dynamic to this that if the Mets don't come to an agreement, there may be some questions in that clubhouse because the media has perpetuated this and the Mets have created this with their own issues financially. But the media perpetuates this on a consistent basis, that ownership is not committed to this this roster, this team. And I think there's a lot more to that than just pay the guy. Like Noah Syndergaard says we'll reward the guy. Well, he got rewarded. Mets gave him $17 million, it didn't have to go to arbitration. So he was rewarded for last year. Now you could say because it was such a great season, one of the best all time seasons in Mets history, that's not enough. And and I could understand that it's probably more like a thirty to thirty three million dollars season, but he was rewarded based on what he agreed to without going arbitration, based on the arbitration process for that season. So this idea that he needs to reward him with a contract, the contract is about investing in him for the future and investing in what he will bring for the future, not for twenty eighteen, which is over, which means nothing now. And Degrom has his work cut out for him in the sense where it's never it's going to pale in comparison. Because unless he can do the same exact thing and have the same type of season, which will be hard, and if he does, God bless. But even if he goes up, 0.3 run, half a run, it's still going to be a phenomenal uh, stat line. But it, but you'll hear, mark my words, you'll hear it. Well, he's not as good as last year, and 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 that's also a risk. You know, there's as much risk right now for the Grom as there is for the Mets. The Mets could risk issues in the clubhouse, and it sounds like. At least there's the start of some simmering of discontent with this whole Syracuse thing. Syndergaard seems to bring it out. I don't know what this plays into with Van Wagenen or Callaway. You know, this is the Van Wagenen's wheelhouse, the player and all this stuff, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so maybe you want to be careful here if you're the Mets, both front office and manager, where this doesn't become an early season disgruntled, where the team looks at it as, well, you know Our guy, our best player, may be their leader when you look at what goes on in terms of who's on the field as an everyday player. Although Cano seems to be taking a little bit of that right now. But as far as the leader of the staff, if he's not rewarded, what does that mean for us? And do these guys care? And, and I don't think they're going to go out and and think about this while they're pitching. But you don't want to get any kind of negativity seeping in that clubhouse because that's, that's not what this team needs right off the bat from the jump. As far as the Grom... He doesn't come in and and get something done. You know, He's a, a, a day closer to, to, to being north of 30 and being into that danger zone. And if you look and you look at all these guys and you see how Mike Trout brought it up, there was an article in The Athletic by Ken Rosenthal, how he saw what Manny Machado and what Bryce Harper went through. And maybe the market changes and maybe for DeGrom it will be different when he's a free agent. You don't know, but I'll tell you what. You go out into the free agent market, or you wait, and you start to have a bad year, or God forbid, even if it's not a serious injury, you get hurt, you put any doubt into the minds of these teams, which now have models and analytical data that will dial into what they believe you are worth to the penny. You could have yourself a problem and leave money on the table. So there's a risk on both sides. This isn't just on the Mets front. As far as the people say, just give it to him, that's not how negotiations work. And I'll tell you this is a more complicated negotiation than your normal one. First, if you're on the CAA side with the Mets, you you don't want to give up anything. You want to maximize the value of this contract. You want to seem you want it to seem to the public that your former employer didn't go over to the other side and negotiate a a bargain discount. He didn't do that. And if you're on the Mets side, complexity of courses as you get to the age and how they've and the Wilpons are are, you know, especially Fred is very much with his history looking at long term contracts, Beltron, Santana, Wright. Even though I think out of all of those, you know, Beltron was probably the, the best, and each one of those had its highs and its lows. I think Wright's was in 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 essence was the worst out of all of them because you paid right for prior performance. You got very you did not get the same right in any any part of that contract. You didn't get the same right that you had before. Uh you have to understand that you're gonna probably get a dud year or maybe two out of a long-term deal. Now in a five year deal, and I've said from the beginning, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, I thought, you know, just looking at comparables, DeGrom is a thirty million dollar year annual average value. Uh he's probably gonna be asked for five years and deserves five years. I think anything north of that is a problem. Um and you're looking at about $150 million. Now how that shakes out, how they pay it in the front, the back Deferrals, all this other stuff. I mean, that could be part of the negotiation, but I think that's where Chris Sale is essentially at. Uh, Verlander's about thirty-three million dollars a year, but he's on a shorter-term deal. Uh, maybe the Mets would be interested in something like that. I'm sure Degrom is. not Degrom, you know, wants as many years as possible. This might be his, is probably his only long-term contract he's going to sign. It just so happened the way you know the age he was brought up. You know, hitting free agency at the age of of you know north of thirty, if if he does go to free agency in a couple of years. It's just a perfect storm where DeGrom is not in the best spot either. But it's not your normal negotiation because of the age, because of CAA. And then you add in the situation where there's pressure on the Mets, and it's it's dynamic because of the media. The media is going out there. They're seeing Verlander sign. They're seeing sales sign. They're seeing all these extensions going. And they're saying, well, if the Mets don't get it done, they failed. So you're adding that noise to that. I don't know how that's impacting the DeGrom. I'm sure it's really not. I mean, the player's the one you could get concerned about because they – and I don't know how DeGrom is. They read this stuff. Professionals like the agent, they don't get involved in all that stuff. They may use it as a selling tool or a negotiating tool. But anyone who's a professional doesn't let media nonsense uh, get in the way. So um, what do I think will happen? I, I still believe they will come to an accord. I have to think it's in DeGrom's. It's in the Mets' best interest and DeGrom's best interest. And I think it'll be somewhere in a five-year deal. I think it'll be around $30 million a year. There may be other things like no trade clauses and stuff. It's hard to predict that. Um, but you know, when people say if it doesn't happen, there's only one other point I'll throw. Now maybe that's the doubt I'll throw into the the mix here. And it's 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 such that the the Mets, um, you know, Chris Sale wanted to be in Boston and he made it clear. I'm not saying Degrom doesn't want to be with the Mets, but Degrom may not want to be with the Mets at the level where Verlander and sale may have wanted to be with their teams. The Gram might feel like there are other options. Maybe there's the places he want to play. Does he love New York? He's from down South. He's from down Florida. So is, is, in, is looking at other options other than the New York market, something that's, that's appealing. You don't know. So he'll sign with the Mets if the price is right. If it's exactly what he wants but even if he's willing to take a risk in his, you know, north of 30 years, you know, maybe there are other places he'd like to see or play. Or maybe he's hoping that lack of a deal, if it's not perfect, will lead him to potentially being traded, you know, and, and, and being in a different situation. I don't think that's the case, but put that in the back of your mind, too. Where DeGrom hasn't come out, he said, yeah, I want to be here, I like being a Met," But it wasn't as definitive as maybe what you heard from a Chris Sale who said, you know, essentially when he was signed, this, this is where I wanted to be. Uh, it makes it a lot easier if you're sold, signed, sealed, and delivered, and you're like, "Hey, this is where I want to be. Give me where I am, it, it, you know, fair market value, and let's get it done." Maybe the Grom's at a point where, and it could, and, I, and again, I go back to what I said about CAA uh, is a lot of complexities because of the relationship with the GM and all that other stuff. One other thing with the Mets' part is the Grom is the domino that goes to the rest of the rotation. If the is bungled in terms of an overpay or it doesn't work out or he gets hurt right away. You know, that's immediately going to impact Wheeler who they have to make a decision on in the next 12 months, less than that. Uh, Syndergaard is someone in the next couple of years they have to make a decision on. Uh, and then there's Matt. So I look at it this way. I think out of all of them, I think Matt's is a guy that if he can live up to being even his potential as a number three starter, solid lefty, I know he doesn't live in, in New York anymore. Uh, but his family's from Long Island, Stony Brook kid, maybe one who would say, "Hey, I'll take a team-friendly deal, and 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 buy out some years." Uh, Wheeler and Syndergaard is where you're going to have to make your decision. I think DeGrom plays into how much money they give him the years. You can't keep all four. It might be ideal if they all live up to the potential. You're going to have to pick three or four. And I'll tell you what, we'll get to that in a minute. Again, I keep saying that. But Syndergaard mountain off. I know how that ownership group thinks and looks, especially with a new affiliate that they own. Uh, that's not something that they're going to appreciate. So if I look at it this way, um, if Wheeler stays healthy, there's issues with long-term, breaking down, mechanics with Wheeler. There's Syndergaard is how serious he is. Is he more interested in being a cartoon character than you know necessarily a, a stud pitcher? Uh, it's still up in the air with those two, but I think at the end of the day, the Mets pick one of those two. I predict maybe Matt's will be a guy to sign a team-friendly deal. And I think eventually they get something done with DeGrom. It makes too much sense for both sides because there's a lot of variables that make this risky for for both of them, especially for the Mets with a new GM and an environment and a culture where I think they don't want to sour some of the good feel that they've built up uh, since Van Wagoning was hired around October. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Noah Syndergaard had a lot to say. And I want to talk to you about it and let you know what I think about it. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this.
0: Oh, that's a different situation. I mean, I just going to kind of sit back and let it all unfold how it is. Um, I think Jake's best pitcher in baseball right now. I think he deserves whatever amount he's worth. And I think, uh, I mean, I'll, I want him to keep him happy. So when it does come time for him to reach free agency, he stays on, on our side, pitching for the Mets. Um, I just think they should quit all this fuss and pay the man already. Because of what you see in um, what's going on with baseball right now, if like there wasn't a trend of other guys getting contracts extensions, then I don't know what the circumstance would be, but you can see like Chris Sale, Verlander, those guys getting extensions. I think it's time Jacob gets one too. Where are we going again? You're not going. going, We're going to Sarasota. and then to Syracuse. And then, and then no we're not going to New York. You'd think we'd go to New York to get like as adults our things or our fairs in order. But no, we gotta go to Syracuse first. I don't know I don't know whose idea that was, but it's, it's not a smart one.
1: I don't think that's
0: conducive for winning ball games really. That much that much travel. Um, I mean, I'm sure the amenities in Syracuse aren't the best for um, a major league baseball team to go out there and um, have one last workout for before the regular season starts, but those kind of decisions are above my pay grade.
1: All right, we're back. Talking Mets podcast. You heard Noah Syndergaard's comments from – the other day, and as we're recording this, he's doing his live Twitter Q&A. And as, as luck would have it, and it's Murphy's Law with the Mets, uh, the flight to Syracuse tonight gets delayed by three hours, and the media's reporting a lot of players grumbling. Of course they're grumbling. I mean, who the hell wants to be, have their flight delayed? Uh, you know, I'll start with this, with the whole Syracuse thing. The Mets are not the only team to be playing uh, – exhibition games with their affiliate this happens all the time as a matter of fact this used to happen in the middle of the season where instead of having a day off the Mets would play Tidewater or Lynchburg or guys like that back in the day Uh, so think about that you know the Mets are doing this before the season I understand they want to get settled I'm all for that especially when you uh, you're starting the season you want to get your stuff settled in New York you want to get focused and then you want to go to DC and get ready they're in Sarasota. Now they're going to Syracuse for a workout that they're not into and answering the same questions again and yada, yada, yada. And the Syracuse media will probably be there. So they're probably going to have to do the same thing, the dog and pony show they've been doing you know, in Florida for how long. But it's really important for the Mets right now who have had such a bad history over the last 15 years probably or thereabouts with affiliates the Mets were kicked out of Norfolk, from what I understand, because they, they took advantage of the relationship and didn't really procure it or develop it and and pay attention to the, 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 the tides. And even though the Baltimore Orioles make a ton more sense, the Mets had a huge, longstanding relationship with that affiliate for many, many years, what, for three decades plus? And it went away with a, with a snap of a finger and threw the Mets into chaos where they were at a way station in New Orleans then they go to Buffalo, and you figure, all right, they signed a long-term deal. Buffalo's got a new stadium, and that's soured because they didn't like how they were treated by the Mets. A number of different things. Players they wanted the Mets to sign just to be a drawing card, and obviously the Mets didn't put out the most competitive AAA teams during a period where the farm system was in uh, a bad position, right around when Omar Minaya Omar was fired. And then the game of musical chairs with affiliates these days. The Mets get stuck in Vegas— and they don't really want to be there. Vegas knows the Mets don't want to be there, but they're these two places because of their ballpark situation and the league and the Mets not having anything. It's a shotgun marriage. They're stuck together. And and now they finally have this Syracuse situation where they have ownership. It aligns with the branding. You basically, from the north of New York State all the way down to the city, have all these affiliates that are in New York and, and can generate a whole new generation of Mets fans up and down the state and I think that's important and this is a small thing yes it's an inconvenience but it's a small thing but get off to a good start this whole thing and I know it's bad luck with the plane being late but Syndergaard stirring the pot publicly and this is not about whether he has the right to say it or not it's more about understanding and have the maturity to know how this impacts negatively uh The feel around the club. This is a grievance that you air with your coach, with your manager, as a team. Player representatives bring to the team, and maybe they have. Bringing it to the media does nothing but give you what you have here now, which is an extra X number of minutes on a podcast, Twitter clicks, clicks on a, a, a website. It does no good. The media is just using this as a way to fill space. They love it. I could see them on Twitter, the glee. Oh, the plate is late. I mean, they might as well have their pom-poms out cheering, don't take off, don't take off, don't take I mean, this is absurd. It's childish. This is what you get today's day and age of media. And he knew what he was doing, and he did it. And that, to me, doesn't show leadership. That shows immaturity. Um, sometimes I wonder if, if Syndergaard likes being the center of attention and gets bored with a lot of it. I think his Twitter antics with the Mr. Met and all that show that. To me, Noah Syndergaard right now should be worried about replicating what he did in 2016 because other than 2016, he's been an utter disappointment in 17 and 18. He was imminently hittable last year, even before he got hurt. Uh, 17, he botched that whole thing with his off-season workout. Um, everything he did goodwill between 15 and 16 right now is a distant memory. And he has a lot to prove. I said this earlier, chip on your shoulder, good thing. He's not even being mentioned as one of the top ten starters in baseball anymore. I, I played you the clip from MLB Network. He has a lot to prove. Right now you can make the argument, and I've been not the biggest fan of Zach Wheeler for years. Zach Wheeler right now is more the number two than Syndergaard. He was more polished last year. He was more unhittable last year than Syndergaard. Syndergaard was imminently hittable last year. Um, so he has a lot more to worry about than trips to Syracuse he has a worry about himself performing at the level that he likes to put himself in do you want to be a cartoon character or do you want to be an elite pitcher the cartoon character is in Anaheim now see how that worked out for him you want to go that route or do you want to be here and be elite and be Robin or Batman to 1A to Batman of the Grom, and right now I think the best they'll do is Robin. The Grom is your pathway to success. Shut his mouth. Improved every year. Your pathway to success isn't shooting off your mouth and being a clown, and, and 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 bring into the media unnecessary. Which I really think was about more about his displeasure. I'd be curious. I'm sure there are others who weren't crazy about it, but I bet you if you got some of those players in that room, they like it wasn't a an issue that should have been brought to the public light. It was an internal clubhouse issue. You don't hear Michael Conforto talking about it. So, to me, this is not the greatest foot to start the 2019 season that Syndergaard could get off on. But I've said this for weeks now, and I'll say it again. Does Syndergaard want to be a cartoon character, and a Twitter handle, and a Twitter persona? Or does he want to be an elite pitcher? And we'll know very quickly, starting this weekend against Washington, which one he's at least getting himself, which start he's getting himself off to in 2019. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Michael Mayer, com Mets Miners has an interesting little bit of information about the Jacob deGrom contract. So let's hear what he has to say. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. We're back, and uh, joining us from com, Mets Miners, our good friend Mike Mayer. Uh, you can check out Mike on Twitter at Mike Mayer MMO. And we'll kick it off as just a little bit ago, and it's a good thing we actually uh, pushed the program from Sunday to Monday, trying to get as much content, as much news into these things as possible. And uh, you know, Mike had some. Good information that said maybe things are progressing a little bit with Jacob deGrom and the contract extension. So, Mike, first, welcome to the program, and maybe you could start off with, and and I don't know when people will be listening to this. Things may have changed by the time they listen to this, but as of Monday night, it looks like maybe there's some positive trends with Jacob deGrom and the Mets coming to an agreement.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike, and yeah, that's kind of the um, impression that I was given by the source I talked to. Uh, about an hour ago at this point that um there were some positive signs towards them working a deal out um before opening day which is obviously just a few days away and um of course that doesn't mean anything's definite that it's going to get done but this to me is a good sign because there hadn't been much positive in terms that I have heard or anyone else has reported um that there was a good chance of this getting done. So um, obviously remains to be seen, but I think maybe some of the recent activity between Chris Sale and Justin Verlander have kind of um, pushed, pushed the Mets towards trying to get this done.
1: I also think fans have to understand that, you know, obviously it's easy to say, give them the money. This is a negotiation I think there's a lot of layers to that. And as I said in the open, I think there's a couple of things that come into play here. First, I think on the CAA side, they want to be able to walk away from this looking as if they didn't concede anything, in my opinion, because of the whole Van Wagenen situation. You don't want to walk away if you're on the CAA side and say, well, it looks like we gave a discount or we gave it to our old employee. Uh, You also have the Jacob DeGrom side, which – He's playing a little bit of roulette here. He doesn't come to an agreement. He decides to play this another year. We all hope he has a great year, and I'm sure he will. Will it be as good? It's always going to be, and he'll learn this, because after 1985, and I know it may not be apples to apples, but after 1985, Doc Gooden never had a year like that, and it's always going to be hard to live up to that. But also, if he continues to move towards free agency north of 30. The lesson, and markets change, but the lesson is it's going to be hard and stressful to get a contract, and it may not be the contract you want. So there's pressure on both sides. I think they get a deal done, uh, but it's not as cut and dry for either side. I think there's a lot of layers to this that make this a little bit more complicated than some of the other contracts that were signed over the last 72 hours or so.
2: Oh, for sure. Like you said, I mean, just between CA wanting to – make sure that they're getting DeGrom the right deal and the fact that they're dealing with DeGrom's former agent and trying to do so. Um, And you also have to factor in, which you didn't talk about was uh, the bonds. And, I mean, it's been made pretty public that they're weary of giving any long-term deal because of how some of the recent ones have turned out with Cespedes, the most recent, David Wright towards the back end of his, um, even Johan Santana on the back end of his. So I think um, you have to know that the Wilpons and more specifically Fred Wilpon is kind of being cautious about um, giving out another long term deal.
1: And, And there's also ramifications. As I was saying, and I'm curious if you're looking at my logic, I look at it as you want to get the Grom at the right price. And I've said for a few weeks now, about $150 million, average of $30 million a year is that price, and that's around where you have your Chris Sale numbers at that point. Uh, $33 million, Verlander, but $30 million a year annual average value is where they're at. Whatever they do above and beyond, even with years, that's going to bleed into Wheeler, that's going to bleed into Syndergaard, that's going to bleed into Matt. And I think long-term, if these guys live up to potential, you're probably in best-case scenario – going to be able to keep only three or four. I think you have a chance of getting Matt's at some point, team-friendly contract, maybe because he's from New York, he's from Long Island, even though he doesn't live there anymore. Maybe his family will you know, be a part of him that, that, that wants to stay and, and, and not test the waters. I think you're going to have to wind up selecting which one, Wheeler, the decision comes sooner rather than later, or Synergaard. And I think if they do wind up getting a positive season out of Wheeler, and they feel good about a long-term deal, I think Syndergaard's a guy that may get dealt regardless of what happens after this year. So, long range, I think DeGrom gets his money. I think you got to pick between Wheeler and Syndergaard. Uh, both come with risks. And I think Matz is a guy more than likely, not more than likely, but the most likely, I think, that would get a team-friendly deal. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think, like you said, I, I highly doubt all four from, stay long-term. Um, obviously on Matt's too he's going to be the cheaper of the four given what they've done at the Major League level um, and I I wouldn't discount what's going on with Noah Syndergaard right now um, he's been very vocal recently and I, I've, I don't have an issue with him being vocal about it but about his disappointment with going to Syracuse and the arrangements of travel before the season um, but the Wilpons don't like stuff like this being publicly talked about. Um, He's on Twitter doing a Q and a right now. And obviously the questions are all geared towards that. And the Wilpons are going to see this. I mean, they've been, they've talked about how they don't like the publicity in the past, whether when they were talked about jealousy with the Yankees and stuff like that. And we know what went on with Matt Harvey. And so, like you said, if, there was someone out of that group that they could possibly deal. It could I think you're right with Norris and Newgard, and not just because of those reasons, but I mean they at the start of this offseason, that was that was a pitcher that was readily available for whatever reason um from the front office.
1: And look, I know he doesn't like this whole Syracuse thing and I said in the open I said the issue I have here is it's not ideal. I understand the whole you want to go back to New York, you want to get settled, regardless of whether you're a player and what you think and the accommodations. Being settled as a, as a person, especially when you have a, a job that requires routine and focus, is important. And going from Florida to Syracuse then to D.C., sure, that's not ideal. But it is so important. And, Mike, you know this as someone who covers the minors. The Mets have had awful for the most part, relationships with their affiliates. So the Buffalo situation went sour for a variety of reasons. Uh, I know New Orleans was a, a way station. I don't think they were thrilled with the Mets. The Mets left the longtime affiliate, Norfolk, formerly Tidewater, essentially because the Mets ignored the the, the affiliate, and, and they, the affiliate didn't feel the love. And then they've been in Vegas the last few years. But let's face it, that marriage was shotgun. There was never an intention I think that, that Vegas knew the Mets weren't long-term players and the Mets never really wanted to be there. It was the musical chairs and that was the chair that was left. So yes, the Mets have ownership stake in this team. So it's a little bit different, but getting this off to a positive start is important. And if it means doing a workout there, taking some pictures, doing some nonsense things, I don't think it's a lot to ask. Send a guard could have probably done a better job than the way he aired it to the press. And I got to tell you, nobody challenged him in the press on that. I think they goaded him on, and I had the audio earlier in the program. I was a little disappointed in how it was handled through all sides, to be quite frank.
2: Yeah, I mean, Cindergarten, as we found out, is a guy that if you put a mic in front of him, um, he's just going to be honest and tell you what he feels. And uh, I, I certainly don't th- – I. No, Am I off
1: getting, base, Mike, on any of this stuff? Am I off base? Do you think I, I'm I'm way out of line
2: here? No, no, I, I I don't think you're terribly off base. I think we pretty much feel the same way. I guess my, but I I guess my thing is I don't have an issue with Syndergaard saying what he did, um, but I I kind of do have an issue with the Syracuse thing. Like you said, it is a it is a good thing to get off to a good start in. Um, Syracuse uh, new affiliate but I mean where where was this when they started in Columbia that didn't happen and what it didn't happen in Columbia because the Mets so should say the Wilpons the Wilpons didn't own the franchise there so I guess a little more consistency would be my thing like if you're going to do this to all the new affiliates whether you own that affiliate or not Um And that's just like an ongoing issue that I would see. It it looks more like they're pushing the players to do this and the players don't want to do this. Um, So I I guess
1: that's kind of where I'm coming from on it. I hear you. Michael Mayer, at Mike Mayer, MMO uh, on Twitter, joining us here. Mike, you were just recently in Port St. Lucie and – I'm curious, uh, you know, we got the season just less than a week away. This will be our final opportunity to talk about the Mets before the games count. And, you know, I'm not in the prediction business, but, you know, I think the team's improved. They had a good uh, spring offensively, surprisingly so, more so than I even expected uh, as I went through the numbers, and I know it's spring. Uh, The pitching is healthy. The bullpen looks improved. Obviously, there's some questions on depth, uh, especially with the starting rotation, and the, the division is, is tight. You know, the Phillies are better. The Braves won the division last year, although I think they, you know, were a little overrated for for, for most of the year. I think uh, I, I never believed that. You know, if it was a normal year, that they would have won that division. And the Nats, even without Harper, looked tough. Going into your trip to Port St. Lucie and then walking out of it, do you have a different opinion about the Mets and this team after spending a few days around the uh, the ball club.
2: No, not really. I think this, this is. They're definitely a playoff contender, um, more likely for the wild card. Um, and that was built through a lot of position player depth. And, I mean, they still have arguably the best 1-2-3 in baseball for starters. So um, I still I still like the Nats a little bit better. And I think the Phillies are right there too. And um, I, I just the, – the big issue I have with the Mets is – current pitching depth um the fifth, fourth this starter mats has been an injury issue his entire career um and Vargas is obviously on the downside of his career coming off a terrible season so a guy like gio gonzalez would have fit obviously um dallas Keiko's still out there uh, but, and then in the bullpen we've seen with the final spot there that they just assumed early in camp before I got to Port St. Lucie, everyone just assumed it was going to be Hector Santiago. And then when I was down there, he got lit up twice and that kind of threw off their plans. And then Tim Peterson got knocked around a little bit. And then Kyle Doughty finally had a couple of good outings. Um, I still think that's a spot where they kind of messed, uh missed the chance to get a guy like a Adam Warren or a, Nick Vincent, uh, just someone who's had a history of success at the major league level um, that were readily available for pretty cheap. Um, even recently, Alex Wilson was cut and then got a major league deal. Uh, maybe the Mets did show interest, but that's that's the type of guys that they should have been trying to get to help round out a bullpen that is really good on the top end but could still use uh, depth
1: Without a doubt, Michael Mayer, uh, Mike Mayer, MMO on uh, Twitter. Uh, you know, I thought maybe Gio Gonzalez. I know that they haven't been uh, that hot to trot what, uh, on him. I think what you see, and I agree with you, I think the bullpen is going to need another arm. I think we always knew that. I think when you get past five, and this has been for a billion years, you need eight, nine, ten starters to get through a season. And right now, after the top five, I guess Corey Oswalt is your six. Yeah. Mickey callaway has been pretty pretty adamant that gazelleman and Lugo won't be starters. Maybe they go the opener route with those guys if there's a rash of injuries. Is, you know, the Drew Gagno, I think I said his name right. I never kind of figured out that guy's name. Uh, you know, what? What's your I mean the depth, is there anything that we're not looking at? Is Oswald I think he could be an acceptable depth piece as league average. Are there other depth pieces that we should keep an eye on as the year goes on that are currently in the organization that you feel could give you uh five innings, two three runs, or six innings, three runs, or I mean that's what you're gonna expect out of a replacement. Nothing really better than that unless it's a huge outlier.
2: Yeah, I actually think um Oswald threw the ball really well this spring. Um His velocity was back up in the mid-90s. You have to remember with him last year, the Mets, well, first off, in the minor leagues, he um, he had a minor injury, and then the Mets needed him for a start, so he got kind of called up off schedule, and then he was in the bullpen a little bit. He was making some starts, and then he was back to the minors, back up, and he was getting pushed all around. His throw schedule was getting messed up. And then he actually had a string of the type of starts you were talking about, Um, five runs, uh, five innings, two runs, six innings, three runs, where he was actually a pretty somewhat reliable starter. So I I think he's decent depth there. The problem after him is, like you're talking about the Drugano of the world, um, that's not a major league starter. Um, Hector Santiago obviously showed he's not a major league starter. Um, Walker Lockett, who they got in the Kevin Puecki trade, um, didn't show that he was a starter this spring either. He doesn't have an a out pitch. So beyond that, I think one of the next guys you're looking at is left-hander David Peterson. But he just finished at St. Lucie last year. Uh, I believe he's going to start in Binghamton, so he'll be in double A. And he, by the second half, could be one of those guys um is ready to step in and again he's he's not a guy that's a one two up, uh top of the end um ceiling type guy he's more of a back end guy but he he's the one that i would look out for that you could possibly see in the second half of the season if they need a starter
1: you another name Zach Lee, former first round pick uh dodgers uh... The other day, that might be another guy that we keep an eye on in Syracuse.
2: Yeah, I think yeah he'll be in that Syracuse rotation. Uh, Chris Flexen, who actually came in the camp looking like a, I mean, we say best shape of his life, but I mean he really did look like he was in great shape, and he only got into a couple early appearances, but he looked uh, his stuff looked good too. So, I mean, there's a couple of interesting arms there. You just would like to see another guy who's had success in the major leagues as an option for starters. Like you said, you're going to use eight, nine, 10, 11 starters every year. Everyone does. It's just how it is. And the Mets eight, nine, 10 starters are not what you would hope they would be.
1: Uh, I, I hear you on that. I think that's the, the depth in the starting rotation is one thing. I think, uh, uh, the bullpen, although I think it's improved, we'll see. I mean, I've had concerns about Familia's arm. Justin Wilson is, is a nice piece, but I think his, his walks worry me. Uh, Diaz didn't have a great spring. I know I've talked to some people uh, uh, off air, and they have like, I hey, don't worry about it, but I always worry about stuff. And, uh, you know, Lugo Gonzelman, you know, you may need them uh, as openers or as bridges, and, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, pitch them every day that's not the 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 way they're going to be used so uh you know that looks like that's the big opportunity for uh for for this team uh you know as you uh as you went into spring was there something that really caught your attention uh at Port St. Lucie a player or a situation or anything that you went in and weren't expecting what what really caught your attention when you went down there that that you weren't expecting I guess a player or something about the Mets that you could share?
2: Well, I mean one player which he's he's now gotten plenty of um publicity because of he's actually played in a couple of games now is seventeen uh, year old Ronnie Mauricio. Um, I mean fan graphs already had him as their sixty eighth uh best prospect in baseball at seventeen years old. Um, and it's tough not to watch this guy and just start grueling. Uh he's For 17, he's got a polished swing. Um, He hasn't shown; he's starting to show power, and that he's just going to grow into more power. He looks smooth at shortstop. He's got enough speed. Um, Switch hitter. He looks; he does look better from the left side when I saw him. But I, I mean, he got into some major league games. I think he went. I think he went like three for seven in major league games. And the thing that impressed me the most was um he was getting fooled early in counts on breaking balls um taking some bad swings on them but later in the count when he got the two strikes a couple of times he kind of shortened his swing a little bit and stayed back on the ball and he actually got a hit on a two strike count and he got a sack fly on a two strike count too so that's i mean that's something in, to see from a 17 year old against major league caliber pitching that's really impressive um Another what? thing that I noticed, I'm sorry. noticed was kind of on the backfields was just like when you walk up to one of the minor league games, there's always uh, minor league pitchers tracking the pitches, and then there's a couple of scouts there, and then there's sometimes a coach or two there, and mm-hmm. this year, there just to be seemed to be more involvement from five or six coaches right there watching, talking, talking to the pitchers, tracking, talking to... Um, the track man that's hooked up that's tracking the pitches and just seemed to be a better line of communication between everyone in the organization on the minor league
1: side. Yeah. I think that that was something they started working on last year that I know was uh, uh, not something that was done well. And especially in the last couple of years with Collins and, and, and worth in and that group. So um, disappointments. Uh, what What did you come away with a little bit down on? Anything other than that we just talked about the depth and some of the things. Any Any player that you you walked away with a different opinion? Well, give me the flip side.
2: On the flip side, I I can't really. There wasn't a minor leaguer necessarily or a big prospect that I saw that I was really disappointed in. Um, I'd say. Maybe the thing that stood out to me the most was watching Travis Darno throw. Um, he's obviously not healthy right now. I know they've tried to, he's played some in the major league spring games and through them in the backfield quite a bit too playing. I think that's kind of, A, you don't want teams seeing what he's got back there as much. And uh, it's a, it definitely sounds like now he's gonna start the season on the injured list. Um, so it'll be interesting to see just how long he takes down there and once he comes up, how healthy he is. Um, he, he he did look pretty – he looked okay swinging the bat, I should say, but he still – he was trouble getting lift even swinging the bat. So he, he's definitely not healthy. Um, that's something to keep an eye on. And as we know now, the Mets have signed Rene Rivera to uh, kind of fill – fill in some catcher depth.
1: Yeah, the whole catching situation was interesting because being that Darno is, based on what you're telling me, not healthy, and he wasn't a great defensive catcher and a thrower even before all this, Wilson Ramos is going to play majority of the time, but 120 games is what you're looking at. That's what his history has said. And I thought Devin Mazaraco was a decent backup. It was an overplay having him as a starter last year, but that was out of need. Thomas Nito definitely is a better defensive player, especially when you talk about framing. they? The fact that they're Rivera's ticketed for AAA, and I like that signing, they're forcing Masaraco. It's a very odd situation. So Masaraco thought he made the team he didn't. He doesn't want to play in Syracuse. He feels like staying with the Mets. He's too far down the depth chart, so he'd rather go somewhere else. He didn't get claimed on waivers, so I don't know where that elsewhere is. It sounds like Nito is going to make it north of the team. Something's odd there. What Are you surprised? Because to me, Nito's got options. Send him, leave him in the minors with another veteran like Rivera. Have Mesoraco be the backup. Unless they, they think Darno in two weeks will be better. From what I'm hearing from you, this might be a 30-day stint in, uh, extended spring. I mean, it's only been 12 months, not even. So there may be another, you know, four to six, eight weeks of time that Darno needs. So the situation with the backup catcher, not the end of the world, but odd nonetheless.
2: Oh, yeah, I I definitely think it's odd. And like you said, especially after seeing Darno, I mean, it'd be one thing if Darno was maybe like just a week away or maybe just two weeks away, because then um, you have the 40-man roster to take into consideration, and Mesoraco isn't on it, so by doing choosing Nito over him who's on the 40, you don't have to worry about making that move. And that's not really a move you want to make for only a couple weeks or something. But like I said, I I just don't see how it's that short of a stint with Darno. Maybe the Mets are feeling differently than me. Um, But even with Rivera, so if they, they signed Rivera. um, So now if you brought him up, he's on a minor league deal. So he would have to be added to the 42. So it it's interesting. Like Nito is a very, very good defensive catcher. And maybe they feel with the extra off days they have to start the first month that Ramos will be fine not getting those off days early in the season. And they're going to ride him a little bit then. And then once they feel Darno is ready, that's maybe when he'll get a little more of his off days. Um, that's... That's the you all know, I can try to guess about what they're feeling, because it it was a little odd to know that Darno's not ready, and then but Mesorako's not making the team. The assumption was always, well, if Darno's not healthy, Mesorako's going to be the backup.
0: Right.
1: Uh, final thing before we wrap up. Um... Team in the National League, take out the NL East. You, you, you felt the Nats were the class of the division. I can't argue with that. I mean, I think it's going to be tight. I think uh, the margin of error is going to be very close. But you got to give it to the Nats. They've been better than the Mets for the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, they added a third really good starter. that can match the Mets one through three. Uh, they have some young players that have to prove themselves in the starting lineup. But it's, it's, it's a similar type of offense, I think, to the Mets in some of those ways in a decent bullpen, if all works out, give me a team in the national league that you think take the Nats out. Cause you mentioned them already that you really like, give me a team that you think is going to be a little overrated and disappoint. Give me those two teams to wrap up here.
2: All right. Team that I really like. I, I think, I think the Dodgers are going to be good this year. Um, they got a ton of offense. They got a lot of pieces. They can move around Um, with Muncy and Taylor and Seager's back healthy and Turner's healthy. And I just think they've got a ton of positional depth that they can move around. And they still have good starting pitching with Walker Bueller and Kershaw and Rich Hill when he's healthy. And you still have Jensen in the bullpen. Um, I mean, there's a reason why they've been – the last couple of years, and they really haven't subtracted anyone from that team. Um, so I think they're going to be good. Um, disappointing? I mean, I'd, I'd stay in the NL East, honestly. I just I don't see where the Braves pitching is going to be enough in the starting rotation and in the bullpen. Um, I think they're making a I pretty big Albee's mistake. I think Albies comes
1: back down to earth. I think Albie's comes back down to earth. I think Marquez comes down to earth. I think I think they played way over their head. A or no A Cooner. I, I I agree with you on that. I'm I'm. I think you're on the button there.
2: Yeah, I I just I just don't feel like. I mean, they had a really, in my opinion, they had a really terrible season too. Like they were they won the division last year, so why not try to build on that team and goal for the rotation to go with those young guys or a Kimbrel. I thought Kimbrel was a no-brainer for them I mean they don't have they had some guys that pitched well last year um in the back end of the bullpen but they don't have the guy with that experience and bringing him home um I just thought that was a natural fit and who's to say they don't still do that that would obviously make a huge difference to them but for them to not sign a sign a starter and or a closer like that, I think it was a pretty foolish mistake by them. And it kind of slid them. I think they're probably the fourth best team in the division right now.
1: Mm, Interesting. You know, I I agree with that. So you think the Grom signs by Thursday? What is your gut telling you? Or or maybe you have info that we don't know about it. Who knows? By the time this goes on air, maybe it'll be moot and they're just, you know, whoever's listening to it will say, let's see if these two dopes know what they're talking about. (laughs) I... I would
2: say before the last couple of days that I would have given it maybe like a 25% chance of happening. I would say after talking to a couple of people today that I would say it's 50 50. Um, I think they've had some good conversations recently. I think Ben Wagoning has been very proactive in this and wants to get a deal done. I think, like I said earlier, I think there's some, Issues. There's some weariness in ownership about doing a long.
1: All right. That's uh, Michael Mayer. We he dropped off over there. Uh, so I think you get the point there on the DeGrom thing. Check him out at Mike Mayer, MMO, com. Check him out over there. Let's take a quick break. We'll return final thoughts. You're listening to the talking. podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com
0: and get Metsmerized today
1: all right final thoughts great stuff from Michael Mayer apologize from getting cut off Uh, his phone went out and uh, we had to cut that interview we pretty much knew where he was going with the uh the contract situation and and what have you. It sounds like it's ownership right now. Ownership has to get the uh, feel, the guts, the feel, or the desire to go longer in terms of years. I don't think it's the average annual value. I don't think it's the money in terms of per year. I think it's the years, and I think that's what's going to be the sticking point. And I, I think their fear is, am I getting myself another Santana contract, another... Beltran contract, another right contract, and and I'm sure insurance is going to get harder and harder uh, with these contracts. And uh, you know, the Mets don't want to live through that with dead money, especially because you're going to have to make decisions on other pitchers. So, um, you know that that's where it's at. It's a legitimate concern. At the end of the day, I think both sides have it in their best interest to get this done. Get this done now. Uh, I don't I don't get crazy about deadlines because things could change. It's not like they're not going to be able to do anything. And if they're close, don't be surprised that the deadline gets moved. Uh, it doesn't sound from talking to Michael that they're as far apart as, as maybe we think. So anyway, and then the second thing before we wrap up here, uh, definitely sad to hear about the passing of Marty Noble. Actually, on my old Weekend Watchdogs uh, show, I had a chance to have Marty on with my former partner. And uh, I don't remember what we talked about, to tell you the truth. I'd have to go back. I've had so many radio shows over the last 12 years that sometimes you, your mind starts to get fuzzy. I used to know every segment. I used to be on top of every segment. Now it's it's getting hard. There's a lot going on. But um, sad to hear about the passing of Marty Noble, and that's definitely a loss because uh, there's a wealth of Mets information, especially from the era uh, that I grew up, Cutting my teeth on the mats, the '80s, and '90s. I mean, he was the man. He was the guy. He was the leader of that beat. And uh, I know he was kind to other members of the media that I know, young members, not necessarily those that are the most well known. So he was always, I know, willing to share his knowledge and his uh, his passion for the uh, the art of journalism. So definitely a loss hearing about the passing of Marty Noble, definitely surprised and, and sad to hear. Because that was someone I was gearing to potentially as we got into the season, talking about 69 and Tom Seaver and some of the things that are going on. That was a name that I thought of possibly calling up and had his number and uh, and bring it, getting on the show. So definitely sad to hear about the passing. And, and it's very much a loss for uh, all those who follow the Mets and the Mets family. So... Uh wanted to just take a couple of minutes to talk about that. And then, obviously, um, what's coming up? The season starts on Thursday. Finally, some real games. First test series for the Mets here with the Nats. It should be an interesting series. Best Mets three pitchers against the best Nats three pitchers. And I, I think both teams are, are, are very similar. I think right now, you know, the Mets have a lot to prove. Uh, you heard what Michael Mayer said about the Braves. I think the Phillies, the Mets, the Nats. I think the Braves are the team that's kind of a little bit behind those guys. I think it's going to be a tight race, and I think I don't make predictions, but I do think that it'll be an interesting season. I definitely think there'll be a lot to talk about, and I definitely think we'll be talking about at least the Mets being in a playoff race with two wild cards. It'd be tough to see this team, short of them having another catastrophic year of injuries or huge outlier performances, which, you know, at some point, the, the, the law of averages says that's not going to happen. I think you'll see them be in, in the mix. And who knows, maybe you get that great three- or four-team race in the National League East. It used to be the old days with the uh, Rays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees. You kept hearing about, all oh, the historic three-team race. It never really happened. So, so they don't usually work out that way, but uh, these teams look to me as I go up and down their roster to be very evenly matched. And each has their strengths, their weaknesses, and I don't think anybody's complete. So it'll be interesting how this thing plays out. Um, But uh, a couple of programming notes. Uh, 69 Mets content coming up. We'll have Art Shamsky coming up in the next week or so. Uh, Wayne Coffey about his new book in the next week or so. And our buddy Rich Catino of 9870 ESPN might even be popping on live from Washington, D.C. this weekend after the series to come on and and talk a little bit about his observations and his time in the Mets clubhouse. So a lot of stuff coming up. I know we're ending the whole Grapefruit League Port St. Lucie edition of the program and who knows there'll be obviously a Jacob deGrom extension to talk about which may happen while you're listening to this who knows Uh, we try to get this content as relevant as possible but with a fluid situation who the hell knows what's happening right now all we know is the Mets are trying to get to Syracuse and their flights delayed and you have a lot of unhappy ball players right now just like any unhappy person who have I've had my flight delayed three hours it's not fun no different anyway Thanks for tuning in. Of course, I want to thank the good folks over at com. Send me a tweet at Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you can leave me a review on iTunes, it'd be greatly appreciated. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast next weekend. Take care, everybody.